Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello there. This podcast is completely free. And it's free because I'm supported by sponsors. And uh, I've chosen those sponsors uh, in order to try and present you with content um, services that uh, will be useful for your English, so you should check them out. For example, italki. Um, what they do is they basically put you in touch with a native English speaker or language teacher. Um, there are like qualified teachers and also just native speakers to talk to, um, because speaking is really important for improving your communication skills and your fluency and everything. So it might be a good idea to go onto italki, find someone who you could take lessons with or just sort of book some conversations with them and uh, it'll really help to generate, uh, you know, proper fluency and communication skills in English, all right? Um, check out italki by going to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk. Um, and uh, when you buy some lessons or buy some speaking time with someone, uh, italki will send you a voucher worth um, a discount of about 100 italki credits, which is not too bad. So uh, check that out. All right, then here's a new episode and here is the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. So hello everyone. This episode is actually being recorded before Christmas. Um, I'm sitting here on the 21st of December recording this um, and I'm going to upload it sometime around Boxing Day probably. So this will probably arrive um, in either your inbox or your podcasting app or wherever it is on Facebook or something like that. It'll arrive um, somewhere around the 26th of December, maybe the 27th. Uh, we'll see whenever I get the time, you know, to just upload it, stick it on the internet. That's when you'll be able to listen to it. But I'm actually recording this on December the 21st. And uh, I've just been out to do some Christmas shopping. And so that's all done now. And the festive uh, period is kicking in now because it's all Christmassy outside. There's Christmas lights on the house in front of me. Uh, that I can see through the window and it's all feeling very festive and everything. Okay. Right, so I'm going to upload this in a few days, and I imagine you're probably listening to this during the Christmas period or the New Year period, um, but I hope that you're having a lovely time wherever you are and whatever it is you're doing, whether you celebrate Christmas or not. Um, now, this episode is all about British festivals and holidays that occur throughout the year. So let's look ahead to the coming year of 2017 in this episode and see what kinds of things British people will be doing for certain special occasions. Now, I'm, uh, I'm recording this because at some point earlier this year, I got a message from a listener challenging me to talk about all the major British festivals and holidays in one episode. Um, I can't remember who it was who sent me that challenge. I think it was in the comments section of a Facebook uh, status update or something, but someone said, uh, someone gave me this challenge and I replied going, okay, challenge accepted. And for months I've been actually meaning to do it and make this episode. And so now, finally, here it is. Um, and for that person, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, uh, but here is that episode, okay? Uh, the thing is, the challenge was to do it all in one episode. And I've got a feeling that this 
is going to be more than one episode uh, because, um, you know, I've just got lots and lots of things to say about this. And I kind of went through the calendar for 2017, noting all of the different uh, days, you know, special days, festivals, holidays and things like that, and uh, various sort of... Uh, events and moments in the year that I thought would be interesting to talk about and I've kind of prepared some stuff and there's a lot to talk about so I don't know if this is all going to be in one episode but let's see what I can do okay the UK calendar just like you know I imagine calendars um, in countries all over the world um, is uh, full of festivals of many different kinds in fact there are festivals and special days in every month of the year These festivals mark various special occasions connected to the passing of the seasons, important historical or religious events, and also significant people uh, in the UK. So in this episode, let's explore those main festivals and public holidays in rather fast style. I'm going to go through it as quickly as possible while also trying to keep it all understandable and clear. Okay, now I'm from England, so my version of this subject might be a little bit Anglo-centric. I mean, uh, it might be a bit sort of um, English because I'm from England and there might be slightly different versions of the sort of uh, the calendar of festivals and special days in other parts of the country. For example, it might be slightly different in Scotland or in Northern Ireland or Wales or even in the north of England. But I'm from England, the southeast of England, so this is probably... um, Uh, influenced by that. Uh, But I have tried to include a variety of festivals and not just the ones that seem significant to me as an individual. Um, This episode should be a great little journey through the UK calendar. Calendar? Calendar? Calendar. It should be a good... It should be a great little journey through the UK calendar. I say great, I don't know. Only you can be the judge of that. Um, But that's what I'm trying to do. And I have tried to include a variety of festivals, um, and I've already said that. um, It should help you learn some more about British culture, right? And also, we're going to look at uh, some other things, like, for example, how to pronounce the months, dates, and days in British English. So, without any further ado, let's get cracking. And here is our whistle-stop tour of British festivals and holidays. So... Um, There are public holidays, which are days of statutory leave, meaning days off given to us by law, by statute. So we have statutory public holidays, and these are generally known as bank holidays. So these are specific days in the year where you get the day off work. Um, And in the UK, they're called bank holidays. And so we've got bank holidays, and then there are the festivals and other special days. Now, not every single festival is a public holiday. Not every festival is a bank holiday. Sometimes they kind of um, land on the same days, but uh, not always. So we've got bank holidays and festivals, okay? And we're going to start with bank holidays. Um, And so if you've ever lived in the UK or spent a good deal of time there, you'll know that a bank holiday is usually a wonderful, wonderful thing in theory. I say in theory, because in practice, sometimes it all goes a bit wrong, depending on the weather. So um, bank holidays usually happen on a Monday, and sometimes they happen on other days, but usually it's on a Monday. So a bank holiday or a bank holiday Monday uh, is usually part of a long weekend, 
which is kind of the wonderful thing about the bank holidays, that it's it's always a long weekend, so you get a three-day weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday too. Um, these bank holidays are usually associated with some old religious occasion or some other important reason connected to the state in some way. Um, now, three of these bank holidays take place in the summer, so everyone imagines that they will be out in the garden having a barbecue or in the park having a picnic or something. So when you start thinking about bank holiday season, which starts in May and kind of finishes at the end of August, people start to think, oh yeah, the bank holidays are coming up, bank holiday weekends, brilliant. And you imagine being out in the garden having a barbecue or in the park having a picnic or something with sunny weather. That's what you imagine. You know, if you're optimistic, you'll be like, oh, I can't wait to be outside with the sun shining, uh, having a lovely time outdoors. In reality, those summer bank holidays probably involve getting caught in the rain in some way, perhaps while attempting to have a barbecue in the garden or a picnic in the park or something. Um, having our bank, uh, having our public holidays on Mondays is a great thing, though, because it means you get a day off and a long weekend. Um, shops and services are sometimes closed, which can be a bit annoying, but it's less the case these days. In fact, the shop's tend to do quite well on a bank holiday weekend and so they stay open. So it can be a good day to go out shopping. Um, banks though uh, are closed. That's, you know, that that makes sense, doesn't it? They're, it's called a bank, uh, bank holiday, so the banks are closed. Uh, and that can be a bit of a pain in the neck. If you need to use your day off uh, to get something done, like, you know, go to the bank and, you know, pay in a cheque or something like that. So um, now you might be thinking, why are they called bank holidays? Well, these public holidays are originally called bank holidays because in 1871, certain days were designated in law as being days on which no financial transactions could take place. So the banks had to close uh, and on these special days, they, the, the banks themselves would take a holiday and no financial transactions uh, should take place, just like on Christmas Day, for example. And I suppose that this was, um, I suppose this was to give uh, workers a few guaranteed days off a year, so that they didn't get completely exhausted working in factories every day of the year. So it, um, some philanthropic um, uh, sort of uh, humanitarian, uh, probably campaigned for. Uh, certain number of days uh, in which there were no financial transactions to allow workers to get a bit of rest so that they didn't kind of work themselves into the ground. These days, people have more statutory paid holidays. It's more than just, um, what was it? I don't know the original number. But these days, people have a lot more than they did in, in 1871. In fact, everyone now is entitled by law to... Um, I think it's five, about five and a half weeks of paid holiday. It's actually 5.6 weeks of paid holiday per year. Um, so that means if you've got a job, then um, you have the right to get, um, yeah, about 5.6 uh, uh, weeks of paid holiday per year, uh, which is pretty good. It's a pretty good amount. I know in some places it's less. Some places it's more, um, but 5.6 is, is pretty good on average. Um, now that that 5.6 weeks of paid holiday may or may not include the bank holidays. Um, that's up to the employer. Uh, so, for example, the employer could say, yeah, you get five 5.6 weeks of paid... 5.6 weeks. I guess that 
amounts up to a certain number of days, doesn't it? Um, and your employer gets to choose whether that includes the bank holidays or not. So if you've got a nice boss or if you work for a generous company, they might say, yep, you get your 5.6 or in fact, yep, you get your six weeks of paid holiday and you get bank holidays too. And they're all paid. That would be good. Um, At the last company I worked for in London, um, we had to work on bank holidays. Uh, That was a a language school. Uh, We had to work on bank holidays, which sucked a lot, to be honest. Uh, Because while all my other friends were out attempting to have barbecues and getting caught in the rain and having a nice time, I was indoors teaching English. But um, it was a good school to work for, so they allowed us to take our bank holidays as days in lieu. Those aren't days that you have to stay in the loo. Um, No, that's not what days in loo are. They're not like, oh yeah, you know, you don't have to work on this day. You can just stay in the loo all day. Um, No, that's not what it is. A day in loo is a day in loo, spelled L-I-E-U, which originally is French. A day in loo basically means a replacement day. So the school I used to work for gave us days in loo whenever we had to work on a bank holiday. So these are basically sort of extra days off, which replaced the bank holidays that we worked. And um, I would always take all my days in lieu during quiet periods at the school in December, usually. So I'd, I'd kind of leave it to the last minute to take my days in lieu. And I'd take them all in December so that so that I could do all my Christmas shopping during that time. Um, so these so-called bank holidays are scattered throughout the year. And they've been arranged to land on Mondays. So they always land on Mondays, corresponding to certain periods or events in the year. I wonder what it's like in your countries. Do you have sort of, you know, special public holidays throughout the year uh, on which you don't have to work or maybe the banks are closed or the schools are closed or something? Um, I wonder how many you get. In France, for example, there are loads. But the thing is, in France, they don't always land on a Monday. Um so uh, in France, the public holidays always arrive on the same dates every year. So that they're fixed to certain numerical dates. And uh, that's when the public holidays are, even if they land on a Saturday or a Sunday, which is a nightmare. Sometimes if you look at the calendar, you'll see that, you know, the, the public holiday lands on a Saturday or Sunday, which essentially means you lose that day off. Um, sometimes public holidays in France land on a Tuesday or Thursday, and a lot of people do this thing called the bridge, which means that they take the Monday off or the Friday off as well, and they enjoy a massive long weekend. So if the public holiday lands on, let's say, a Thursday, they get the Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday, and the, and the Sunday, so they get a really long weekend. And if that happens, though, whenever that happens, it seems that, for me, it seems like the whole country sort of grinds to a halt because everyone's gone on holiday for the majority of the week. Um, But in the UK, it always lands on a Monday. So you're guaranteed to get those days, but they're always on Mondays. And in the UK, we have seven bank holidays in the year. Um, Seven bank holidays. Most of them land on Mondays. And a bank holiday weekend, as I said, is a truly wonderful thing about life in the UK. It's a long weekend, and you're always guaranteed to get it well, mostly some people, depending on the employer that you work for, if you work in a shop, for example, you probably won't get it. Uh, but for most people, it's a great uh, day because you get a long weekend. Uh, there are two in May, which makes May a particularly good month in the UK. Um, it's normal to celebrate uh, those bank holidays in May. 
uh, by, if the weather is good, by having a barbecue or by having a little party in the garden or something, or just going out and having fun in the sunshine. Right, so what about all of the upcoming bank holidays in England and Wales in 2017? So I'm now going to go through all of the bank holidays. Um, so we've got um, one on the 2nd of January, that's that's a Monday, and that's actually a substitute day for New Year's Day because we always get New Year's Day off. That's always a public holiday, New Year's Day. But in 2017, New Year's Day falls on a Sunday. So we get the next day, uh, the 2nd of January, as a replacement or a substitute day. So that's pretty good. If you're in the UK um, uh, New Year, then you not only do you get the Sunday to recover from New Year's Eve, but also you get the Monday as well. And it's back to work on the Tuesday. Um here in France, I'm straight back to work on the 2nd because um, they don't do the substitute day thing here. So straight back to work on the 2nd uh, of January for me, teaching at the British Council. It'll be, I don't know what kind of, what I'll be doing on New Year's Eve, but if I if I do the normal thing and I go out to a party or something, then I might still be feeling a little bit groggy on uh, Monday morning, the 2nd of uh, January. Like, oh, good morning, everybody. Happy New, <coughs> Happy New Year. We will see. Um, so, 2nd of January. After that, we have to wait and all the way until the 14th of April. So, there's like this long, dark, cold, miserable period between uh, New Year and, and Easter when you don't get any public holidays and you sort of, it's a bit of a slog and you have to kind of, you know, keep going without like time off. Oh, it's not that hard, but you know, it can feel like it sometimes. So, anyway. The next holiday in 2017, the next bank holiday will be the 14th of April, and that's a Friday. Um, And in fact, that is Good Friday, which is the first day in the long Easter weekend, because we get four, uh, we actually get uh, two days off at at Easter, the Friday and the Monday. So 14th of April is Good Friday. Then um, the next day is uh, the 17th of April, which is uh, Monday, and that's Easter Monday. So Easter is a fantastic four-day weekend. Most people go back and see their families, and they eat lots of chocolate, eggs, and things like that. Um, and um, so Easter, yes, Easter is. I'm going to talk more about Easter in a, in a little bit. Okay, uh, but I'm just talking about the bank holidays at this point. The next bank holiday in the year is um, the first Monday in May, which um, for 2017 will be the first of May. And that's going to be uh, obviously a Monday. And that's known as the early May bank holiday. It's also called May Day in some, by some people. Some people call it May Day. And it probably originates from Roman celebrations of the beginning of the summer period. Uh, but in some countries, there is Labor Day on the 1st of May, which um, basically is a sort of a celebration of the rights of workers. But we don't really, we don't actually officially call it Labor Day in the UK. Instead, it's the early May bank holiday. Um, And I think this is because the whole concept of bank holidays, in fact, kind of covers essentially the same purpose as uh, Labour Day does in many other places, which is basically like a day off for the workers. Um, The 29th of May is the next uh, bank holiday in the UK, in England and Wales at least, um, because things are slightly different in Scotland and and in Northern Ireland. But uh, England and Wales, the 29th of May, and that's a Monday, Again, another bank holiday Monday. And this one is basically the last uh, Monday in May. And it's known as the Spring Bank Holiday or the Late May Bank Holiday. And it's connected to a religious uh, 
date uh, known as Pentecost. And in fact, that's the first Monday after Pentecost. Okay, So you might be thinking, what's Pentecost? Well, uh, Pentecost is the Christian festival celebrating the descent of the Holy Spirit on the disciples of Jesus after his ascension. And it's held on the seventh Sunday after Easter. So the first Monday after the seventh Sunday after Easter, that's the late May bank holiday. Are you following this, everyone? Are you following this? There will be a test at the end. There won't really, but I'm saying that to just keep your attention. Um, so, um, yes, 29th of May will be the uh, late May uh, holiday. Most people just find out about all this stuff from their employer or from the newspapers or from friends or from a calendar that they probably get for Christmas. Um, it's all Also, all this stuff is published on the government's website, gov.uk. Um gov.org.uk or gov.uk gov.uk is the government's website where they publish information about public holidays and stuff so after the 29th of May uh, the next one is at the end of summer uh, at the end of August so the last Monday in August that's the 28th of August another bank holiday and that's known as the summer bank holiday and that's basically barbecue and disappointment season that's when people plan those barbecues in the garden, only to be disappointed by, you know, bad weather, which is often what happens. Uh, and basically, the the uh, late summer bank holiday is there to mark the end of the summer holidays. Um, then nothing. You get no public holidays then until uh, Christmas. And uh, at Christmas, we get two public holidays, as you know, because I talked to you about this recently. There's the 25th of December, which is Christmas Day, and then the 26th of December, um, which is Boxing Day. Christmas Day this uh, in 2017, Christmas Day is going to arrive on a Monday, and the 26th, Boxing Day, is going to arrive on a Tuesday. Again, if Christmas Day or Boxing Day land on a weekend, then they give you the next available days off. For example, in 2016, this year, um, you, we're, we're going to get a day off on the 27th of uh, December because Christmas Day lands on uh, a Sunday this year. So 25th is a Sunday. So instead, we're going to get a substitute day on the 27th. Um, that's good, isn't it? Okay, now... I'd like to just look at pronunciation uh, for a moment because let's talk about how to say months and dates in English, all right? In a moment, I'm going to go through festivals and days of celebration and sort of, you know, other stuff that goes on uh, during the year in the UK. Um, But before I do that, let's look at the pronunciation of the months of the year, okay? Now, I know that you did this at school, but I'm often surprised at how people still pronounce the months wrong. So, Just repeat the months of the year with me and think about how you're saying them, okay? Just think about the way in which you say these months and think about um, things like vowel sounds, the number of syllables in the word and which syllable is stressed, okay? So first of all, let's just go with the word month, month. Can you say that? Month, okay? It's got that th sound at the end, month. What about plural? Months, months, months. It's quite difficult to say months. So if it's easier, you can just say months, months. So instead of making it a th sound, you make it a t sound. So months, months. That's just it. That's just a kind of, um, let's say, a, a shortcut. If you find it difficult to say months, you can just say months. But it's not months, months. It's just months. Okay. So obviously there are 12 months in the year. 
let's go through all of them and think about how you're pronouncing them, okay? What's the first month of the year? Yeah, that's right. I want you to say it or at least think it in your head. What's the first month of the year? How many syllables does it have? Well, it's January. January. That's right. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Luke. Isn't it January? Well, yes. Some people might say January. That's four syllables. January. January. And, you know, many people will say January. And in fact, if you ask them, how do you say the first month of the year? They might, first of all, say January with four syllables. But in my experience, in just normal conversation, people tend to say January. Three syllables. January. January. So it's either January or, in fact, January. Um, There it is. So... Next one. What's the next month? Ah, it's actually a little difficult to say it. February. February. Again, that's the quick version. February. And it's fine. That's how most people say it, I think, when they are just going through the months fairly quickly. February. So um, it, the spelling is weird because it's spelt F-E-B-R-U-A-R-Y. But it's not pronounced February. February. No, it's actually pronounced February or maybe February. February, four syllables, or February, three syllables. All right, so January, February, March, easy, March, April, that's fine. A, April, April, not April, April. What's next? May, good. Next, June, yes. Next, July, July, July. That's right. The second syllable is stressed, July. January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Next, August, August. Okay, next, September, September. Second syllable is stressed. Three syllables and the second syllable. September, October, November, and December. All right. So September, October, November, December, they're all three syllables and they all have the second, uh, they have the stress on the second syllable. All right. Let's just go through them again. Repeat them after me. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, and December. Okay, fine. Now then, let's consider the way that we say dates in the UK, all right? How do you say a date? For example, you know, what's today's date? As I'm recording this now, it's the 21st of December, okay? The 21st of December. So let's just consider the way that we say dates in British English. So we actually begin with the day uh, and then the month. So it's day first and then month, unlike in America where they do month first and then day. In the UK, day first and then month, the 21st of December. Um, Now, when we write the date, we just add the number and then the month. So it would look like, for example, 21 and then December. We might add the, like, ordinal, we might add the TH, the RD or the ST. For example, uh, 21st or 23rd, uh, you know, or 24th, for example. We might add that when we're writing it. But it's just the number um, and the month. Okay, so 21 December or 21st December when we write it. Also, we might write just just the numbers like 21 slash 
12 slash 16, for example. Uh, but when you actually say the date, you have to remember to add several other things. Like you have to remember to add the word the before the number. And you have to add the ordinal. So that's first, second, third, fourth, fifth, for example. Um, okay, so the you have to add the and the ordinal. And also a preposition of. Okay, of. It's difficult to hear of sometimes. It sounds like of. So you get it's the twenty it's the twenty first of December, okay? It's the twenty first of December. The twenty first of December. Alright, so what's the date today? I don't know what date it is when you're listening to this. What's the date when I'm recording this? Yeah, that's right. It's the twenty first of December two thousand and sixteen. Okay. Now people always forget those little words like the and of they do, they forget them all the time, but to say it correctly, in terms of British English, you've got to remember to include them. So um, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to help you remember that in a minute, okay? Uh, I'm going to kind of test you on it a little bit, or at least give you an exercise to help you uh, practice it. Now in America, they don't know what they're doing, all right? They've, they've got no clue, so they put the month first. I'm just joking, all right? It's fine. Um, for the Americans, they do start with the month, and they don't always include the word of, uh, which probably is easier, you know, not to use of. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to get involved in that debate. But they do do it slightly differently, which is fine. Uh, that's okay. They can do what they want. We had a big war many years ago, and they now have the right to do what they want. Um, I'm joking again. All right. So in America, they would put the month first, and they'd say, it's, Dece- it's December 21st. It's December 21st, for example. You know, like, what's the date, mom? It's December 21st, honey, for example, if you live in some stereotypical version of America. Um, so, okay, this is the bit where I want you to tell me the dates in British English, please, because we do things in British English around here uh, at Luke's English Podcast. Uh, so tell me the dates. For example, what's the date that I'm recording this? It's the 21st of December. All right. So what date is Christmas Eve? What's Christmas Eve? It's it's the 24th of December. Right, good, well done. Well done. What about Christmas Day? What's Christmas Day? It's the 25th of December. Right, it's the 25th of December. Can you say that? Christmas Day? That's right. Christmas Day is the 25th of December. Okay. Always. Every year. Yes. Um, <laughs> what date is New Year's Eve? What about New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve? Let's see. Well, it's the 31st of December. Again, every year. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, Valentine's Day? What date is Valentine's Day? Uh, Valentine's Day is on always. It's always on the 14th of what? The 14th of February. That's right. Valentine's Day is on the 14th of February. Don't forget... Don't forget that one, unless you're single, in which case, just just feel free to forget about it completely if you're single. If you're in a relationship, forget about Valentine's Day at your peril. Yes. All right. So I'm not, I'm not speaking from experience. I always remember Valentine's Day. Um, now, uh, next one. What, he, what date is St. Patrick's Day? Which is an important date for the Irish. What date is St. Patrick's Day? St. Patrick's Day is the 17th of March. Or St. Patrick's Day lands or falls on the 17th of March. It's always 
the 17th of March. What date is your birthday? Uh, oh my God, millions of people all just said something at the same time. Millions, yes. Um, what date is your birthday? What date is the summer solstice? The summer solstice. The summer solstice is, that's basically the longest uh, longest day of the year, in the northern hemisphere at least, and it's uh, Midsummer's Day, and it's the 21st of June, isn't it? Oh, I better be right about that. Summer Solstice. Summer Solstice 2017. And June the 20th. June the 20th. June the 20th. I'm saying the month first. I'm saying it like an American, because that's what archaeoastronomy.com says, and it's an American website. Um Let's have a little look. Uh, okay, no. Um, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's going to be Wednesday, the 21st of June, 2017. So there you go, 21st of June. Uh, it's the summer solstice. Uh, let's keep going. And what about, uh, what date is Halloween? Halloween. Halloween is the 31st of October, isn't it? Yeah. And what date is it today? Where you are? It's the... I don't know what date it is when you're listening to this, but anyway. Right, okay, so we've done that. We've done the months and we've done the talking about dates and things. Let's now talk about festivals throughout the year. I say let's, I mean me, but feel free to kind of repeat everything I'm saying if you want. Can be a good way to improve your English. Shadowing, they call it. That's where you repeat everything I'm saying while I'm saying it. So feel free to do that if you want to. Um, Now, festivals throughout the year. The following information uh, is based on an article by the British Council, and I found it on the British Council's website. So some of this stuff is based on the content of that article, although I have paraphrased quite a lot, and I've added a lot of my own bits and pieces in there too. Um, you can find the original article um, on the British Council's website, and you'll find a link to it uh, on the page for this episode on my uh, website. Um, So here's a list of the festivals and celebrations throughout the year in the UK. And this list includes uh, traditional events, sporting events, and also I've included some major music festivals in the UK as well. And if you spend any time in the UK, I really recommend that you go to a music festival because they're usually a lot of fun as long as it doesn't rain. Uh, Even if it does rain, sometimes that can be lots of fun too if you like mud. Um, So we'll start in January. And um, so the 1st of January is New Year's Day, of course. And on New Year's Day, on New Year's Eve, uh, the 31st of December, it's it's traditional to celebrate midnight, the the kind of stroke of midnight uh, with your friends and family. And usually it involves some drinking and partying. There's usually a countdown. People count down 10, 9, 8, you know, and they count all the way down. And then, Happy New Year! And then people shout and scream and they hug each other. And, um, you know, usually there's a lot of hugging and sort of partying and cheering and stuff like that. Some people sing a traditional song called Old Lang Syne, which is a folk song with words by the Scottish poet Robert Burns. Although, to be honest, I've never, ever sung that song in my life. Um uh, it's certainly in Scotland they sing that a lot more than they do in England. But me personally, I've never sung that song in my life. And most of the time, when I'm celebrating New Year's Eve, I'll probably be in a party with some friends, having some fun, playing some music, and um, you know, having a drink and just having a good time, and counting down and cheering and hugging and you know, kissing my wife and doing all those sorts of things. But some people will sing 
an old folk song which was written by Robert Burns, the Scottish po- the Scottish poet. Um, so uh, the party um, for New Year's Eve often lasts well into the early hours of the morning. Um, many people make New Year's resolutions promising to achieve a goal or break a bad habit in the coming year. The most common New Year's resolutions are things like, you know, to go on a diet, to lose weight, to to eat more healthily, to go to the gym, to stop smoking, things like that. Um, I read a statistic the other day that, you know, it's like less than 10% of uh, resolutions made in the New Year period actually uh, are kept throughout the year. And by the end of the year, you know, like 90% or more of the people who made those resolutions have failed to achieve them. Uh, But anyway, I still think it's probably quite a good idea to do a New Year's resolution. And the New Year is a period where you kind of, you know, look to the future and think about, you know, how you'd like to do things differently and you sort of make promises to yourself. Um, For me, New Year's Eve is about these things, really. It's about struggling to plan something to do, like never having an idea of what I'm going to do for New Year's Eve. Like, what should we do? Should we go to a party? Should we go out? Should we just stay in and do nothing? Um, it probably will involve going to a house party and getting a bit drunk, uh, going out to a club or something, Or I, although I do that less and less these days, or uh, and then having a nightmare getting home because there are no taxis, it's freezing cold outside, or the best thing is to stay in uh, with some friends and drink wine. They have some TV shows on, on, on the TV, including uh, uh, the Jules Holland Hootenanny, which is a really great uh, live music uh, show, which is always on on New Year's Eve. And you see in the BBC studios, lots of live bands playing different kinds of music. It's really good. Um, And um, so in Scotland, the celebration of the New Year is called the Hogmanay. And there are big parties across the country. So if you go to Scotland for New Year's Eve, expect lots of music, dancing, food and fireworks. Um, But Edinburgh hosts uh, the biggest parties and biggest firework displays. So Edinburgh is a really good place to be for New Year's Eve. Uh, the 25th of, of January is a, a special date for Scotland because that's Burns Night. I mentioned Robert Burns just there a moment ago. Um, Burns Night, the 25th of January, uh, this is the birthday of Robert Burns, who's basically the national poet of Scotland. And many Scottish people hold a special supper which is basically a kind of special dinner on on Burns Night with toasts. That means people standing up making speeches, you know, when you hold a glass up and you make a toast, um, and readings of uh, his poetry and things like that. Um, it's, it's like really Scottish, you know, like super Scottish, because like men might wear kilts, you know, those like traditional um, items of clothing that Scottish men wear. Uh, so you might see men wearing kilts. So there might be bagpipe music, And people will almost certainly eat some haggis, which is the traditional Scottish dish, which is actually made from sheep's heart, liver and lungs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lovely. And other things like turnips and potatoes. It might sound a bit disgusting. It's actually pretty tasty. If you get a good one, if you get a good haggis, it can be really, really good. Now, I've never actually been to a Burns Night celebration because I'm English and it's not really our thing. But I bet that it's a lot of fun and... um, uh, I'm sure it would be a really good thing to be part of. 28th of um, of January um, in 2017 is Chinese New Year. And outside of Asia, the world's biggest celebration of Chinese New Year is in London. 
And every year, there's a parade through Chinatown in the West End of London with free performances of music, dance and acrobatics, a feast of food and some fireworks. And there are actually many more events around the UK celebrating Chinese New Year, um, including in places like Manchester, Nottingham, Liverpool and Birmingham. And you will see these colourful, noisy street parties um, celebrating Chinese New Year. Um, Actually, I don't know which year it is for for the Chinese calendar next year. I know every year there's a different animal. I don't know which year it is. Um, Chinese year 2017. Um, what is it going to be? It's going to be the year of the rooster. Okay, the rooster. That's like a male chicken. So it's the year of the rooster. The rooster is actually the symbol of France. You know, if you ever see French rugby... The French rugby team have a, a rooster emblem on their shirt. So maybe this is going to be a good year for, for the French rugby team or for France. I don't know. We will see. Anyway, it's the year of the rooster. Um, okay. Do you know, ladies and gents, what the year of the rooster really means? Do, does this have a particular significance? Because I don't really know about the Chinese uh, zodiac. So if you know what the year of the rooster signifies, then let me know in the comments section. Um, okay. So let's move on to February. I've been talking for 40 minutes and I'm I'm only in February, so I'm pretty sure this is going to be two episodes, which means that my challenge to do this all in one episode might turn out to be a failure, but it doesn't matter, does it? I It really doesn't matter to me. The main thing is that I'm actually doing it. Right, so 28th of February um, in 2017 will be Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day. Okay, Pancake Day. This is the day when we like to eat pancakes. Um, now, Lent is a... Lent, that's right, Lent is the traditional Christian period of fasting. Um, it's supposed to be like 40 days and 40 nights in reference to the period where Jesus went out into the wilderness and he fasted. Um, and so Lent is that period for Christians where they're supposed to fast as well. A bit like the way the the, the Muslims do at Ramadan. Uh, in, in the Christian religion, we have Lent. But to be honest, I mean... In terms of my family and friends and people I know, no one actually fasts for Lent. No one does that at all really anymore, I think. Maybe some sort of, you know, like really more evangelical Christians might do it, but most people don't actually do any fasting for Lent. But anyway, Lent is the traditional Christian period of fasting. Fasting means when you go without food. Basically, you sort of don't eat. Uh, that's fasting. So Lent is the traditional period for fasting and it's supposed to last for 40 days and Shrove Tuesday is the day before Lent begins okay so Lent I think begins on Ash Wednesday and Shrove Tuesday is the day before Lent and that is when households would traditionally use up all of the kind of ingredients in their kitchen they use up all the eggs and milk and sugar uh, and flour and stuff how would they use it they'd make pancakes Okay, so it's just a chance to kind of use up all the stuff in the kitchen so that it doesn't go off during Lent when it's not being used. Um, so it's basically, let's use all the eggs and milk and sugar and stuff and make pancakes. Uh, but nowadays, even if people are not religious, many many people still make and eat pancakes on this day. In terms of religion in the UK, um, Christianity is the major religion. 
And certainly in England, it's it's the Church of England, and they have things like the Presbyterian Church and the Church of Scotland. In Scotland, in Wales, they basically use the Anglican Church. In Northern Ireland, uh, there's the Church of Ireland, which is a Protestant church, and there's the Catholic Church as well in Ireland. Um, in England, let's say, um, it's Anglicanism, or the Church of England, which is a Protestant church. Um, and... Um, According to the 2011 census, which was like a big survey uh, to find out about, you know, people's religious beliefs and other things. According to the census in 2011, um, about 60 percent of people said they were Christian um, and about just over 30 percent of people said that they didn't have a religion or that they didn't believe in religion. Um, and um, after that, it's it was about four or five percent um, said they were Muslim, and then the other religions were kind of you know after that like Buddhism and Hinduism and, and so on. Um, so it's a predominantly Christian country. Although, to be honest, I think that most people are not sort of uh, really um, regular uh, Christians. They don't go to church every weekend. It's pretty mild, really, in terms of uh, religious practices, the UK. But generally speaking, it's a Christian country uh, still, although, I don't know, it's about... I don't think that that many people are really religious. Um, But anyway, that kind of accounts for why many of our sort of festivals are connected to Christianity, okay? But really, what people like to do is have days off and eat pancakes, you know, and they're not really all about going to church and sort of... uh, uh, and being sort of uh, evangelical about uh, Jesus Christ and things like that. Although, you know, some people are. You tend to find the more Christian communities are in the north of England and uh, certainly Northern Ireland. Um, in the cities, I find, like in London, for example, where I'm from, generally you find people are a bit less religious. I don't know why that is, really. Uh, it's just part of urban life. I don't know why. Anyway, um, so that's Pancake Day. Um 28th uh, of February, some towns in the UK hold pancake races where contestants have to toss pancakes in a frying pan while running uh, towards a finishing line. Because what you normally do on pancake day these days is that you, you know, you make your pancake mix in the kitchen uh, and then you start making pancakes. And there's that moment where you need to flip the pancake over in the frying pan. You've got to flip it over. So how do you do that? It can be quite difficult. If you're good, if you've got like a good wrist action, you can flip it over with a spatula like that. But some people choose to like loosen the pancake in the pan and then like flip it in the air, which is known as tossing a pancake. So like flipping the pancake over in the air, tossing the pancake. And that's kind of like a, it's almost become like a sport, pancake tossing. And imagine like running a race through the center of your town with a a frying pan in one hand and a pancake in the frying pan, tossing the pancake in the air as you run. And if you get to the finishing line before anyone else, uh, without dropping your pancake on the floor, then you are the pancake master. Um, So that's uh, a pancake race. Um, I think the most famous pancake race is in Olney in Buckinghamshire, where it's believed that the first Pancake Day race took place in 1445. So they still do it in this town in Buckinghamshire to this day. Um, Now, I've never been to a pancake race, I think. Actually, thinking about it, I've got vague memories of seeing people running along with pancakes. 
Um, I don't know if that's because I went to a pancake race or because I had a dream about it, because that's the sort of thing I would dream about. Oh, pancakes, pancake race. Oh, what is it? Oh, just a dream, another dream about pancakes. Um, um, I, I don't think I've ever been to a pancake race, because for me, pancake day is all about making your own pancakes, probably ruining the first one, because the first pancake you always make is always a complete write-off. It's a disaster. Because you have to burn one before the pan gets ready. And then, you know, you just make loads. And my favourite pancakes are covered in Nutella, basically. Like, lots of Nutella. Even though I understand that Nutella is really evil stuff because it's bad for you and it's full of palm oil and stuff like that. But uh, I do have a bit of a, a sweet tooth and I do like a bit of Nutella on my pancake. Other than that, it's when I was a kid, it used to be... Um, uh, syrup, like uh, golden syrup, which is kind of like sugar, basically, in a sort of a... It's like honey, but made of sugar. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, 14th of February. Uh, so kind of going back in time a little bit there, because the last one was the 28th. 14th of February is, of course, Valentine's Day. And historically, this was the date of the Feast of St. Valentine. And nowadays, this is a celebration of romance. Uh, Many people in the UK go out for dinner with their boyfriends or girlfriends and they give them a Valentine's card or chocolate or flowers. If you're single, you might receive an anonymous card from a secret admirer. So it's kind of a tradition to give cards anonymously on Valentine's Day. Um, For single people, Valentine's Day can be a bit of a nightmare because you see all of these smug couples getting together and going on dates and it can make you feel a bit lonely. Or you might just completely reject the whole concept of Valentine's Day and do something totally different, like totally at odds with the concept of Valentine's Day, like the most least romantic thing you can think of. But most couples also have a slightly difficult time on Valentine's Day. Usually there's pressure on the man to come up with some special romantic plan. Although if you're in a particularly progressive uh, couple, then, you know, maybe there is no pressure and, you know, the the, the, the girl might organise something sometimes. But usually I think that there's pressure on the man to do something romantic, which is a bit ridiculous, really. I mean, you know, why should there be sort of this commercialised um, event on which men, like the only day of the year when men have to be romantic? And I imagine that women probably would rather uh, men were caring, romantic and loving all the time, not just on one day of the year. Um generally, I think that there is a feeling that Valentine's Day is a sort of a manufactured event by companies and marketing people. And it's actually quite unromantic when you think about it. Uh, Just the sort of social pressure, the marketing-driven pressure to do something on Valentine's Day. And some people just shun Valentine's Day completely. They shun it, meaning they just reject it. But in my experience, if your girlfriend or wife says, says to you, oh, you don't need to do anything for Valentine's Day, then don't be fooled, okay, gentlemen? Don't be fooled if your girlfriend says, oh, no, don't worry, you don't need to do anything for Valentine's Day. Don't trust her. You definitely do need to do something, okay? Don't be fooled by what she says because it's just better to be safe, better to be on the safe side and do something special. And you know what? Just do something special anyway, regardless of whether it's Valentine's Day or not. Just do something special. And that also applies to birthdays and anniversaries, Christmas presents, and any other special day. If she says to you, oh, no, you don't need to get me anything, you do. Okay, you definitely do. And I'm speaking from partial experience. Yes. 
Okay, March. March. Um, so we've got the 1st of March, which is actually St. David's Day in Wales. Because each country in the United Kingdom has a patron, a patron saint. Uh, there's St. David for Wales, St. Um, Andrew for Scotland, St. Patrick for Ireland. Uh, although, you know, obviously the Republic of Ireland's not in the UK. Uh, but generally, Ireland, it's St. Patrick's Day. Um, and uh, then England, it's St. George's Day. So for the 1st of March is St. David's Day. And this is a special day in Wales because St. David is the patron saint of Wales. And March the 1st is a celebration of Welsh culture. People in Wales might wear a daffodil, which is a kind of yellow wild flower. They might wear a daffodil and they might eat um, a kind of a soup of seasonal vegetables, like a traditional soup of seasonal vegetables and lamb or, or bacon. Now, I've never eaten that in my life. I think it's called call. I might be pronouncing that wrong. I've never eaten it in my life. And to be honest, I've never heard of it before because I'm English. I haven't heard of call this I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly because I'm English. Now, don't be shocked because I think that most English people don't really know about the way in which we celebrate St. David's Day because English people, you know, we don't do it. So don't be shocked by that. You don't know your own culture. Yeah, it's not my culture. All right. Um, But in Wales, you know, people might do, you know, special Welsh things. Um, I knew that the daffodil was a symbol of Wales and St. David's Day. In fact, you find many daffodils growing around that time of year. So it's uh, a Welsh thing and events are held across Wales, including a large parade in Cardiff. Um, As an English guy, I've never been part of St. David's Day celebrations. All I remember is some people wearing daffodils at school when I was a kid. I think maybe like, you know, some of the teachers who were from Wales had daffodils on. I don't really remember. It was never a big deal in my house because uh, we don't really have any Welsh in the family. Not, not, not really. Uh, anyway, 17th uh, of March is St. Patrick's Day, uh, which is celebrated all all across Ireland, including the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And in fact, St. Patrick's Day is one of those events that's sort of like an international event, really, because Irish people who've moved around the world and have settled in places like, you know, in Australia or wherever, anywhere, France, here, Japan, they make sure that St. Patrick's Day is a big night for a party. So you might actually have St. Patrick's Day celebrations wherever you are because you tend to find there are Irish pubs everywhere, which is a fantastic thing. You know, it's like their version of Chinatown. The the Chinese went all over the world and sort of set up mini Chinese villages in every part of every big city. Well, the Irish, they've they set up Irish pubs everywhere, which is great because it means you can probably get a pint of Guinness in most big cities around the world, which is, you know, a very reassuring thing to the to the travelling man uh, who likes a pint of Guinness, um, such as me, for example. Anyway, St. Patrick's Day. The Feast of St. Patrick is a national holiday in Ireland and is now celebrated by Irish communita- communities, Irish communities all around the world. I said that wrong. It's now celebrated by Irish communities all around the world. In the UK, there are St. Patrick's Day events in cities, including Birmingham, Nottingham, Manchester and London, as well as in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Uh, Many people go out with friends wearing green or a shamrock symbol. The shamrock is like the lucky clover. It's a four-leafed clover. Um, And drinking Guinness, the Irish dark beer. The tradition is to get completely pissed, uh, meaning drunk, 
and wear a massive hat shaped like a Guinness glass or a shamrock or uh, some kind of weird combination of the two, like a shamrock beer glass hat thing uh, that you wear when you're drunk on St. Patrick's Day. And that hat, that weird shamrock beer glass hat thing, won't protect your head against a hangover or any other form of brain damage that you might suffer on the on this evening uh, as a result of poisoning from alcohol, accidents, violence, or all three of those things if it's been a really good night. Um, the 26th of March is uh, Mother's Day or Mothering Sunday. And Mother's Day is a day to celebrate motherhood and to thank mothers for everything they do throughout the year. Many people give their mothers a card or gift, treat them to a day out or cook a meal for them. I usually send a big bunch of flowers to my mum and make sure that she feels special because it's the least I can do. Mother's Day. It's a nice day. It's a sweet day. It's a day on which you can thank your mum for all the wonderful things that she's done. Um, I mean, you know, again, you should thank your mum every day, really, shouldn't you? You know, and it's every day, really. Every day really should be Mother's Day. Um, But anyway... Mother's Day or Mothering Sunday, 26th of uh, March, uh, 2017. Um, it's probably different dates. I know there's different Mother's Days in different parts of the world, but uh, in the UK, it's the 26th of March. April. Right. Now, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do April and then um, I'll stop and I'll finish the rest of the year in the next episode. All right. Slightly blocked up nose. <clears throat> I'll keep going. I'll keep soldiering on. April. 1st of April is April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day. Now, for one day of the year, on April Fool's Day, it's acceptable, in fact, even encouraged, to play tricks, pranks, and practical jokes on people. And um, a lot of people get up to silly things, like they do silly jokes and practical jokes and things on, on April Fool's Day. Even newspapers TV and radio shows often feature fake stories on April the 1st. Um, It's not just on April the 1st they're doing fake news, to be honest, these days. Um, It's customary to reveal the joke that you're doing by saying, April Fool! Alright, that's what you have to do. So, imagine you're doing some stupid thing, like I would say, you know, I've been thinking and, um, you know, I've decided that uh, I can't do this podcast anymore and... That's it, okay? So I'm shutting down the podcast. I'm going to stop doing it. And I'm going to I'm going to erase all of the episodes um, so that no one can ever listen to it again. And that's it. I'm going to go into hiding. I'm going to go, in a, go and live in a cave in Wales and um, eat grass for the rest of my life. And I'm going to become a hermit. So that's it. No more podcasts. April Fools! You know, you have to say April Fools like that to show that you're joking. Now... The person who falls for the joke is the fool, the April fool. So if you play a trick on someone, they are the April fool. And then you kind of say, John, can you sit down, John? Yeah, I'm afraid um, we're going to have to let you go. Sorry, um, your job is, the work you're doing is, frankly, uh, just not good enough. So get your coat, you're fired. April fool! No, it's just an April fool, John. No, 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 John, I'm sorry, we're just... No, it was just a joke. Don't, don't, don't get angry, John. Don't get. It was just a joke, John. I'm sorry. Okay. Um. So April Fools. You're and you're you're actually supposed to stop playing tricks at midday, twelve o'clock. Uh, 
So the April Fool's jokes only happen in the morning until about 12 o'clock. Um, and, you know, you get people playing tricks on each other in the office or at school or at home in your family, like stupid tricks. Um, some famous April Fool jokes include ones done by the BBC. Like in 1957, when uh, a respected BBC news programme called Panorama did a huge April Fool's joke, which fooled a lot of people in the country. Um, they broadcasted a report about how spaghetti was actually harvested from trees in Switzerland. So they made this fake news report as an April Fool's joke. And in the report, it was like they showed uh, farmers harvesting spaghetti from trees. Okay. Now, obviously, that's not how spaghetti is is made. Uh, but in the video, it shows that spaghetti is growing on trees, and you see these people climbing ladders and picking the the spaghetti off the off the branches and then drying it out in the sunlight. And it yeah, it showed people climbing up ladders to pick the spaghetti and collecting it in baskets. And needless to say, many British people in 1957 were completely fooled by this. And like, I didn't. Did you know that they grew spaghetti on trees? Um, and um, so that was a big famous one. In fact, um, let, I'm going to play you the, the report, the original BBC report from 1957. Um, this is the report on Panorama about how apparently spaghetti is harvested from trees. Now listen to this and check out the old school heightened RP accent. Check out this. Check out this old-fashioned British accent here from the BBC uh, report, the joke report on April Fool's Day about the spaghetti harvest in Switzerland. Here it is. It isn't only in Britain that spring this year has taken everyone by surprise. Here, in the Ticino, on the borders of Switzerland and Italy, the slopes overlooking Lake Lugano have already burst into flower, at least a fortnight earlier than usual. But what, you may ask, has the early and welcome arrival of bees and blossom to do with food? Well, it's simply that the past winter, one of the mildest in living memory, has had its effect in other ways as well. Most important of all, it's resulted in an exceptionally heavy spaghetti crop. The last two weeks of March are an anxious time for the spaghetti farmer. There's always the chance of a late frost, which, while not entirely ruining the crop, generally impairs the flavour and makes it difficult for him to obtain top prices in world markets. But now these dangers are over and the spaghetti harvest goes forward. Spaghetti cultivation here in Switzerland is not, of course, carried out on anything like the tremendous scale of the Italian industry. Many of you, I'm sure, will have seen pictures of the vast spaghetti plantations in the Po Valley. For the Swiss, however, it tends to be more of a family affair. Another reason why this may be a bumper year lies in the virtual disappearance of the spaghetti weevil, the tiny creature whose depredations have caused much concern in the past. After picking, the spaghetti is laid out to dry in the warm alpine sun. Many people are often puzzled by the fact that spaghetti is produced at such uniform length. But this is the result of many years of patient endeavour by plant breeders who've succeeded in producing the perfect spaghetti. And now the harvest is marked by a traditional meal. Toasts to the new crop are drunk in these pocolinos. And then the waiters enter bearing the ceremonial dish. And it is, of course, spaghetti. 
picked earlier in the day, dried in the sun, and so brought fresh from garden to table at the very peak of condition. For those who love this dish, there's nothing like real homegrown spaghetti. Did you see that report on the TV? Apparently they make, they grow spaghetti on trees in Switzerland. It's amazing, isn't it? Yep, that's right. That's the actual report they showed on the BBC. And thousands of people across the country were completely fooled. But it was then revealed later just to be an April Fool's joke. April Fool's! Yes, that's right. So other tricks that people play include, you know, just telling people lies, essentially. You know, like, for example, telling your students that they've got an emergency test on that on that day. Like, hello, everyone. Yeah, uh, here's the, this is the start of the English lesson. Uh, that's right, come in. Um, bit of a surprise for you today. I've got an emergency English lesson. Uh, no, not an emergency English lesson, no. An emergency English test. That's right, you're all going to be tested. Uh, I'm going to give you an emergency grammar test uh, focusing on the past future perfect sub subliminal English uh, uh, ancient uh, subterranean um, passive verb form. And uh, if you don't get it right, then not only will you be ejected from the course, ejected from the building, ejected from the country, but also ejected from the planet. That's right. Uh, The punishment for failing this exam will be that you will be launched into outer space uh, with nothing but uh, an English sandwich uh, to keep you company. So get ready. Here you go. April Fool's. I'm only joking. No, I'm just I'm just joking. No. No, 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 there's no test. No, don't worry. Don't cry. Oh, don't cry. No, it's, it's just a joke, for example. All right. Um, now, it's all just harmless fun. Of course, it's all just harmless fun in the office or at the school and harmless fun until, of course, someone has a terrible accident or someone gets very upset and there's a huge argument resulting in the end of a relationship or someone getting fired from their job. So it's just just harmless fun, really. Um, continuing with uh, April... In 2017, on the 14th to the 5th, uh, on the 14th to the 17th of April, that's the Easter weekend. So 14th is Good Friday, 17th is Easter Monday, and uh, of course, you know, Easter. Easter is celebrated all over the place. Easter is a Christian holiday celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ was crucified, and he uh, he died on the cross for our sins. Uh, this is the, the the way the narrative goes in Christianity. He died on the cross for our sins, and then he um, he was like buried in a cave, and then he came back to life, and he came out of the cave. He sort of hung around, walked around a bit, and visited a few of his disciples, and then eventually he went off back to heaven, and then the Holy Ghost came down at Pentecost, right, and sort of said, hey, hey guys, be Christian. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's my version of it. I'm sure it's a much more complicated thing than that. But basically, the the the, the death and resurrection and uh, rise uh, to heaven of Jesus Christ, um, that's what Easter means. And we celebrate this by eating chocolate eggs, by hiding chocolate eggs in the garden and then eating them. That's right. Yes. It doesn't seem to make sense, uh, really, when you think about it. But uh, the egg thing... The chocolate egg thing really, as as you may have heard my dad say in episode number two of this podcast, that's right, episode two was all about Easter. And uh, if you haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out because I spoke to my dad and he explained some of the Easter, Easter traditions that we have. And in a nutshell, the egg thing really is a, a symbol of new life and fertility 
and really the sort of the, the the Christian narrative of Jesus sort of coming back to life and then ascending to heaven is kind of about the kind of the birth of new life and the cycle beginning again, you know, and from death to 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 birth or from death back to life, and so you know the egg represents that as well, doesn't it? So Easter also used to be a pagan. Uh, festival even before it was a christian thing it, there was a pagan uh, spring festival at that time celebrating the the, the new life and things like that uh, the date of easter depends on the next full moon after the vernal equinox which is the first day of spring so the date changes each year it's always on a sunday in march or april and that's easter sunday and the previous Friday is Good Friday. The following Monday is Easter Monday. And, and those two days are bank holidays. Uh, people celebrate Easter in different ways, but many people give each other chocolate eggs and eat hot cross buns, which are sweet um, bread buns with a cross design on, on the top. And children like decorate their eggs or they take part in Easter egg hunts and things like that. If you want to listen to that episode I did about Easter, then um, then check the link on the page for uh, this episode and you'll see the link for episode two. Um, so ooh, we've got more stuff here. Let me finish off April and then uh, I'll finish this episode and continue in the next one. All right. So the 23rd of April is St. George's Day. So we've had St. David's Day and St. Patrick's Day. St. George's Day is actually uh, uh, for England. So St. George is the patron saint of England. Now, the legend is that St. George was a soldier who killed a dragon to rescue a princess somewhere in the Middle East, maybe in Libya, many, many, many years before, many years ago. And he's now the patron saint of England. Uh, And this is England's national day. So it turns out that St. George actually was born in Turkey. He was a Roman soldier and he fought, apparently, against a dragon, probably in Libya. And yet he's the patron saint of England. I don't really understand it either, to be honest. Um, and, uh, And in fact, most English people don't really sort of feel that strongly about St. George's Day, except the really patriotic ones. You might still see... The St. George's Cross, which is uh, the English flag, uh, a red cross on a white background. You might still see St. George's Cross being displayed on uh, the 23rd of April. Or you might see some events with uh, an English theme, like with some things like Morris dancing, which is uh, a traditional English folk dance. But it's not a bank holiday. And most people don't really hold any special celebrations for St. George's Day. We don't really know what to do on St. George's Day. And in fact, Really, we don't care that much about it. In fact, this is quite interesting, as you'll see that English people are quietly a little bit modest about their country. We don't celebrate the National Day. We have some negative associations with our flag, the English flag, not the British flag, the English one. Although, saying that, I'm sure that plenty of people would disagree with me, and they would, you know, they would express pride about England and the English flag. But I think that generally in England, people feel a bit more comfortable about being patriotic about the UK in general, not just England. And honestly, this is because England has done some pretty naughty things in the past, like colonising other countries, going on crusades, smashing up towns after football games, uh, being involved in religious wars back in the, um, you know, like the Middle Ages as part of the Crusades. 
invading our neighbouring countries and tying them to us in a, in, in a union and then dominating that union with our values. Unfortunately, these are the values that many people associate with the English flag. That And obviously there's football and rugby, which is a lot more sort of palatable. Um, and as I said, we don't really know how to celebrate our Saints Day. I think with Scottish independence, though, that there, there might be moves to reclaim Englishness from the nationalists and sort of redefine it in a lot more of an acceptable way. But I feel like whenever someone proudly claims that they're English and they start waving the English flag, it sort of smells of, of right-wing nationalism, hooliganism, skinheads, violence and, and the Crusades and things like that. It's a pity, really, because there shouldn't be anything wrong with being English anymore especially if Scotland is given its independence, you know. So England's going to need to find some sort of uh, acceptable, wholesome version of its national identity. Um, although I guess it's hard for many English people to feel a connection to St George, consid- considering the story is about a guy who probably wasn't English anyway, and it turns out he was actually born in Turkey and he was a Roman soldier, and that confuses us and everyone else too, probably. Still, it is about a knight. It is, the story of St. George is about a knight who killed a dragon, which sounds pretty cool. In fact, um, I can read you a very quick version of the, the story of St. George here at the end of this episode. Uh, I found um, a link to a website called Project Britain. Project Britain, uh, which sounds a bit like it was created by a Brexiteer or something. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's just me judging it unfairly, because then again, when you think about my podcast, it is called Luke's English Podcast, isn't it? Which could also sound like some kind of right-wing nationalistic podcast run by the English Defence League or something, you know? You're listening to Luke's English Podcast, where we talk about English things for English people, and we want England to be back English again. No, it's not that kind of podcast. Um, so, yeah. Anyway... Uh, This is from, what, Project Britain, and this is a version of the St. George and the Dragon story. I've no idea who wrote the story originally or to what extent it is fact-checked or even based on anything that actually happened. In fact, it reads, the story reads, pretty much like every other fairy tale story of a knight defeating a dragon to rescue a princess. So this is um, the... um, the story of the legend of St. George and the Dragon. Um, And um, it does, to be fair, it does say on the website, um, uh, it does say this, the most famous legend of St. George is of him slaying a dragon. In the Middle Ages, the dragon was commonly used to represent the devil. The slaying of the dragon by St. George was first credited to him in the 12th century, long after his death. It's therefore likely that the many stories connected with St. George's name are fictitious. Um, So, and that again might be one of the reasons why we uh, don't really get the whole story of St. George, because we know really that it's probably just a myth. But anyway, uh, there are many versions of the story of St. George slaying the dragon, but most of them agree on the following. So they agree that either... They, they agree on these these basic points, that a town was being terrorised by a dragon, that a young princess was offered to the dragon as a sacrifice, uh, and that when George heard about this, he rode into the village as like in a very heroic fashion, and then George slayed the dragon and rescued the princess. So it's a classic kind of uh, heroic tale. And so here it is, basically. I'm going to fly through the story. So, the legend of St. George and the dragon. 
Uh, St. George travelled for many months by land and sea until he came to Libya. Here he met a poor hermit who told him that everyone in that land was in great distress for a dragon had long ravaged the country. Every day, said the old man, That's this is the man's voice. I don't know, he's from Libya, so he probably, I don't know, he'd probably have a... Uh, a, a less politically correct accent, but I'm not going to do that. Anyway, every day, said the old man, he demands the sacrifice of a beautiful maiden, and now all the young girls have been killed. The king's daughter alone remains, and unless we can find a knight who can slay the dragon, she will be sacrificed tomorrow. The king of Egypt will give his daughter in marriage to the champion who overcomes this terrible monster. When St. George heard this story, he was determined to try and save the princess. So he rested rested that night in the hermit's hut, and at daybreak set out to the valley where the dragon lived. When he drew near, he saw a little procession of women, headed by a beautiful girl, dressed in pure Arabian silk. The princess Sabra was being led by her attendants to the place of death. The knight spurred his horse and overtook the ladies. He, confront- he comforted them with brave words and persuaded the princess to return to the palace. Then he entered the valley. As soon as the dragon saw him, it rushed from its cave, roaring with a sound louder than thunder. Its head was immense and its tail 50 feet long. But St. George was not afraid. He struck the monster with his spear, hoping that he would wound it. The dragon's scales were so hard that the spear broke into a thousand pieces. Exactly one thousand pieces. And then St. George fell from his horse. Fortunately, he rolled under an enchanted orange tree against which poison could not prevail, so that the venomous dragon was unable to hurt him. Within a few minutes, he'd recovered his strength and was able to fight again, thanks to the power of magic oranges. He smote the beast with his sword, but the dragon poured poison on him, and his armour split in two. Once more he refreshed himself from the orange tree, and then with his sword in hand, he rushed at the dragon and pierced it under the wing where there were no scales, so that it fell dead at his feet. There was a huge crowd of people that had surrounded to watch. So that's the legend of St. George. Um, anyway, St. George's Day, we don't really do anything for it, but it's kind of a nice fairy tale story, isn't it? Yes, it is. All right, then I'm going to stop here. And in the next episode, I will continue talking about these British festivals and holidays, uh, continuing uh, in May. Okay, then. All right. How are you doing? Are you still alive? Are you still out there? For some reason, I'm imagining sort of loads of skeletons with headphones on all around the world. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Let's hope that you're still there and you're still holding on. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, What's going on with you? Are you doing all right? Are you enjoying Christmas or the mid sort of post Christmas period? Um, I don't know. Tell me. Leave me comments in the comments section and you can tell me. All right, then. That's it for this one. I'll speak to you in the next episode. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.